You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Hey, as they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. And we're back on the Pipeline Show. We just got done uh, talking about the uh, USHL, and we're going to uh, talk with another league uh, south of the border. This time, it's the NA, the North American Hockey League, and the president and commissioner of the NA is uh, Mark Frankenfeld. Uh, for the first time, I've been able to chat with you, sir, and welcome to the Pipeline Show. Thanks for taking time in the summer. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Always looking for the opportunity to talk about the North American Hockey League and, and answer any questions that anyone has. Well, I'll be honest. I'm, I've been looking forward to this one because I haven't had a lot of exposure to your league. And when I look at the league and, and some of the news that's, uh, that's come out from the league over the last decade or so, it, yours seems to be one of the leagues that's really grown the most in terms of uh, NCAA commitments. And I, and I think that is probably the mandate of your league is to help get players uh, to that next level. Are you seeing that growth as well? Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, we, 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 you know, we have a great partnership with USA Hockey and we have a great partnership with the USHL. You know, in the early 2000s, the, uh, the junior A title split to tier one and tier two and the North American Hockey League kind of was, uh, you know, at that point, you know, without a, without the identity of being junior A and trying to create what tier two was in the States. And mm-hmm. over all those years, we just kind of kept trying to be the little engine that could. And I think all that hard work started to pay off in the last, you know, six, eight years. Um, so we've had a lot of success with, you know, in a lot of areas with, with, with markets, uh, ownership, um, and, uh, focusing on the player, which has really helped us improve, um, our ability to be relevant in the hockey community and, and do what everybody's taken the risk for here in our league. And that's about player, uh, player exposure and player promotion and, and seeing the numbers, uh, uh, tick up, you know, quite, quite rapidly here, especially in the last five years. Yeah. The NA might be the largest league uh, that I, that I've come across as well with 26 teams and also just geographically the footprint. I mean, you have a couple of teams in Alaska and you go all the way down uh, to the Southern United States and to the East Coast as well. Uh, we'll get we'll get to that in a second, but you mentioned the USHL and that relationship. I just chatted with Tom Garrity from the USHL as well, and he touched on that relationship as well and how important it is for his league. From your perspective, what is that relationship? Do you? I think some people would consider the NA almost like a a, a farm team, the AHL to the USHL's uh, NHL, if you want to use that comparison. Do you see it that way, or or how would you describe that relationship? Well, I, I think the I think the definition of the league and, and its relationship is really kind of in the beholder and in, in the individual specific situation. I think that the USHL, uh, it's fantastic owners take a huge risk, provide an unbelievable product. And they, 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 the age category is a little bit younger than ours. And they're really, they're really gearing for the, for the NHL draft. The majority of their guys already go on division one. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean it's that individual specific spot that every player needs to be in, in their development path. And so, we serve a really neat niche for players that develop late or, you know, maybe in a, a third line situation in, in that league, but are playing um, in a first line situation in the North American hockey league um, and such. And so we, we really are working with between the leagues right now of making sure the players are in the right spot to develop, to get to where they need to get. And, and with the North American hockey league, I think the biggest piece for us is that players play college hockey. And, you know, we have a couple other subsidiary leagues that we work within and within our own family and also other certified USA Hockey Leagues. Mm-hmm. And our goal is that if they, 
if they get to college within our family, that's great. If they go to the USHL and then get to college, that's great too. So ultimately we are a service in that, that role for these players to play college hockey. And, and uh, if it's best for them to be playing and they're developing and, and getting what they need in the North American hockey league, which, which we really do a pretty good job of, of, of more players earning that college opportunity while playing in our league than any other league that's out there. Um, we're okay if they move on to another league that, that, that the ultimate goal is to get into college. So uh, in some in some view, it could be a development type of a farm concept. Um, you know, we don't we have the same similar business model where our owners start out with zero dollars, provide completely free hockey, and have to go earn that uh, dollars and that revenue through ticket sales and corporate sponsors and all the things that you do, you know, right. in a typical junior A model. So our model's similar. So the the financial risk is similar. The the uh, entrepreneur that owns a team that, that becomes philanthropic in terms of writing some checks to provide this this opportunity is similar. So there, there's there's a lot of similarities in in between the two leagues and differences. More similarities between our leagues than 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 any other league are are, are to us, if you will. But ultimately, it's a, it's it's viewed as a partnership, and um, you know, if it's a player that that, that moves on and it's best for them to develop there and move on, then that's great. And if there's a player there that needs to play more, or their age, or their their development cycle, wherever they play here, so we really work together on what's best for the player. Uh, don't necessarily view it as a farm, you know, development league specifically to exist for the USHL, but we work really well in the same ecosystem and focus on the players and giving them the opportunity to get to college. That I think is our common goal. Is there player movement between the two leagues during the course of the season, or is that at the start or at the end, depending on where a player is at in his development? Yeah, no, it did happen. It's pretty fluid. And, um, our coaches work together pretty well. Our teams work together pretty well. What we just did here recently, which I give, uh, Commissioner Gary a lot of credit for and, and his partnership coming on board here last year is we finalized, a, um, an agreement, a player agreement between the two leagues and some of the features that, you know, to simplify really basically, um, allow them a little bit more access to affiliate players um, during the season, and also the relationship to uh, to the player movement for the for the North American Hockey League. Um, it probably gives us a little bit more protection for some veteran guys and making some decisions with some veteran guys and stuff like that. But basically, it gives the coaches the rules of the road and how to engage um, so that so that the players are being treated fairly and there's respect along those lines with all the different forces you know, that you deal with, 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 you know, players and agents and advisors and, and all the anxiety about, you know, with a young guy that's trying to make all the right decisions to be in the right spot to move up. But, but that, that, that agreement was executed last year between us and the USHL. We've been working with the, within those realm for a while, but, but to formalize it was really big for both leagues. And it just puts our coaches now in a position where they have the rules of the road of engagement. They can work better for what's best for the player. So it's a, it's a, we view it as a big win from our end. Mark Frankenfeld is the president and commissioner of the NAHL. He's my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, Mark, uh, I mentioned the title, president and commissioner. Is, is it, uh, one job or do you uh, wear two hats? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, it goes back to the story of the North American Hockey League. Just like any, you know, junior team, you know, you're small. You got a lot of folks in an organization wearing the same hats. I, I was just having a conversation this morning. We started off with 
Now, I think when I started, it was me and, and maybe two other folks in the office, and, and, and I think two of them were part-time or on a contract basis. Now we're at, we got 11 full-time staff here, and, and we're rocking and rolling in a lot of areas. But I think the, the, the role grows out to um, – I deal with a lot of the business side of it too, and, and I did a lot of that stuff early on. So, the, so it's, it, those are the two titles, but there's pretty much n- nothing in, in the realm here that I don't do or haven't done, but I, you know, I, 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 just, I just try to wear it uh, – I just try to wear it very responsibly – um, you know, and I, I typically go by commissioner. I think that that's the one I'm more comfortable with. All right. Uh, one of the things I've been asking all the commissioners that I've been chatting with over the course of, uh, well, July now into August, but, uh, is when it comes down to, uh, forming, uh, different rules or uh, changing anything about the league, does the ultimate say, uh, fall to you or do you, I mean, do you, how much power do you wield in that regard? Or is, <laughs> is there a, a larger committee that sort of, uh, gets it all done? Yeah, I, you know, there's an old saying there, you never, you know, know how much power you have until you overuse it, right? So, right. but we, but the reality is, is we're a member driven league and so our owners make all the decisions. And the way that we're structured is I work for the 26 owners. Those are, those are basically my, my bosses and, and I have to manage that board and, and, and through an executive committee and through other different committees, competition committees and stuff like that. And then I've got a staff that works for me, but, but, in general, the uh, the board um, has been pretty consistent. We've had a lot of we've we've had a lot of consistent folks on the board. The the owners of the league are are very uh, very good good you know just good solid people. They have uh, now a lot of experience with being in the league six eight nine ten twelve years and, and beyond, and they provide pretty good guidance, but. Through that process, um, they've you know given us some autonomy, you know, based, based on building some trust between between everybody. But ultimately, they're they're the deciders. Uh, one of the things that, that that they really were focused on, you know, I don't know, six, eight, ten years ago, is not to just keep changing the rules because it was a one-off situation or you know it affected somebody in a certain area. So we've built a pretty good, uh, consistent structure, um, you know whether it be through the bylaw structure or the, or the rule structure, that's good for one, good for all. And, um, and, you know, really we don't have a lot of, you know, uh, tragic moments in that, in that world. We have a great group of owners. We have a great executive committee. Um, our, our most recent owners, um, you know, are, just seem to be more passionate about the, the community and providing the opportunity for the players um, seem to be continually to get more sophisticated. Um, and at least at least we like to think that. But at the end of the day, the owners are in charge of the league. I work for the owners, but, you know, I've, I'm going on year 13 here, and, and a lot of the owners have been around for a long period of time. And we it just seems to be a really good fit, and we have a really good um, – really good structure, really good evolution, and uh, things are in a really good spot right now in that whole area. Mark, uh, I always like to talk to the commissioners and, and get a, pers- their perspective on uh, the unique challenges or differences of their uh, their league compared to others. And certainly the two that I mentioned earlier that jump out to me are the number of teams and the geography uh, of your yeah. league. Um, 26 teams, it's a lot of teams, and that geography, <laughs> as I mentioned, coupled in Alaska and you get down into the southern United States and on the East Coast and, and a lot right near the border as well in the Minnesota and, and Dakotas. Uh, how, what's that like? How do, you, how do you manage that as a, as a commissioner and as a league to, when it comes to travel and things like that? 
Well, you know, it's um, it's always really easy. Uh, that was sarcasm. Uh, but you know, you look at the history. Yeah, you look at the history of the league. At one time, uh, there were two uh, leagues. One was called the America West Hockey League, and one was called the North American Hockey League. And in the early 2000s, there was a little bit of a merger, and that America West League had a lot of the Montana stuff and the Dakota stuff, and it had the Alaska stuff. And then the North American Hockey League <clears throat> had started out as a you know a bus league in Michigan. Um, and through the merger and the evolution, um, the league has, you know, grown to, you know, to 26 at the moment. Um, in my, in my time, I started with 17, uh, we were at 28 for a bit, uh, 24 seemed to be a really good number. And just here recently, uh, we, we went, we moved the dial back to 26, but, but the, but the footprint, um, really evolved in some areas that had, um, some minor pro teams, that you know that model may have been a challenge um you had good communities you had good hockey people you had a good fan base and uh you know you look in the southern community there there's a there's a lot of big buildings there that were that, that had markets of hockey for a long time and our model seemed to be a really good model not only on the financial side but just the just the just the whole fabric and, and dna of what junior hockey is where you got a young guy coming to town living with a billet, you know, trying to live, uh, you know, write his own personal story is, you know, uh, be the hero of his own personal story and, 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 and do it for the community. Um, so that mission's worked really well down here in the South, the, um, Minnesota, uh, Dakota area, you know, you've got a few smaller buildings, great little towns. People just love hockey, uh, in those areas. Um, it becomes, you know, a big show, the only show in town, kind of the junior hockey, you know, typical, you know, junior hockey type model that we see, you know, that we've grown up to love. And then you, you've seen our evolution. Uh, if you're paying attention to the Northeast, um, you know, we had a, um, we had a couple, um, you know, uh, first pioneers out there and you know how they, the first pioneer takes all the arrows, but they did a great job getting through it and pioneered our East division. And uh, with the evolution of our Eastern division, we've just seen a whole new, uh, player pool uh, become interested in the North American Hockey League. We've seen, you know, been part of the you know, the uptick in the, the college commitments. We've seen our, um, you know, our, our Tier Three North American Three Hockey League and our our North American Prospects Hockey League, our youth component, grow out there. And so we operate the divisions, uh, which we have four right now, as as uh, you know, in some regards, mini leagues. Right. They do a lot of they do a lot of ge- you know local travel. That's geographically sane and um we meet at the uh nahl showcase in blaine minnesota i think we're going on 15 years 15 years in that area there but the the blaine showcase in september all 2016s are there the uh national u.s national team development programs there you know over three four hundred scouts there it's like the super bowl of showcases it's something i'd can try to explain, but you only understand if you're actually there experiencing it. It's a, it's, 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 it's a great event. And, uh, but that's where we play together. Um, and then and they can do a lot of, we play crossover games there, the, the divisions do. And then, you know, we meet again at another event later on, but, but I'll reserve some of that if you, if we get into the events, uh, the event structure, but, but ultimately, um, the, the challenge of the geography is there. We, we minimize it. And um, we we do have crossover games, and then we come together at the end uh, and have division champions play in a neutral site for the for the Robertson Cup Championship. And um, really, it's uh, 
it's not it's not it's not perfect, but sometimes perfect doesn't exist, so we don't let what's really really good get in the way of perfect, and we think it's a really really good structure, and we're having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I can't imagine a better system when you have that many teams and that sort of geography to deal with. So really interesting. I will ask you about those uh, uh, those other crossover events that you have uh, later in the season. You just mentioned the Robertson Cup, and just based on looking at last year's uh, bracket. Looks to me like the first two rounds are best of fives. Uh, the, the, the semifinal series is a, a best of three and the final series is a, is a winner take all one game. Uh, is that how it works? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it's something that the league has, you know, had a lot of discussion about, like many leagues do and how to conclude it and how to do it, you know, properly for the, for the players, for the competition, for the, uh, for the business side of it. You know, all those things kind of collide. And um, the way I look at our, our 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 league championship is we give our players just about every experience to succeed in. And so if we're, you know, a development league, our players are going to get a chance to get through a uh, two rounds, two best of five rounds within their division, which is that you know local, closer, more realistic geographic uh, travel, uh, but also getting to play against their rivals in front of the fans and, and get that whole experience into play. And so the first two rounds, if you make it through there, uh, are best of five. And then what we do is we come to a neutral site. And in order to eliminate any, you know, tiebreaker, uh, we we have the teams uh, seated, you know, based on how they did. And we have them play the best two out of three. Mm-hmm. And so that way there's head-to-head competition, which we really believe in the way to conclude everything. And um, they get a chance to play the best of three. We've had just about every situation. We've had it, you know, where both teams have swept in the first two rounds. We've had it where one team swept and the other team didn't. And last year we had it where, you know, both teams went all three games. And it's just created a very exciting event. And then and then you get a chance to play off in the in the game seven of the Stanley Cup or the one one and done, right? And, and ultimately, you know, as I said, I we've had – a wonderful 60-game season. We had a two grueling best-of-five rounds, a uh, best-of-three uh, head-to-head to get kind of the semis to get you into the end of the game seven. So we've given the players that are going down that journey every experience and opportunity to get there, and it, it, it really culminates into a, an exciting uh, conclusion to, to the to the championship, uh, the goal of becoming the Roberts Cup champion. Uh, obviously, you know, we get questioned on – you know, why don't we do the best of five at the neutral side? Or why is the last game only one game? You could be off the referee, this stuff like that. But right. you know, ultimately, ultimately, you can you got to pick you got to pick a poison at some point and figure out the best way to do it. And like I said, it's not perfect, but it's it's really really good and and it's working really well for the league. And and again, for me, it it, it provides uh, for me it provide it, it completes our mission uh, in providing these guys an opportunity to you know again play through a best of five, play a best of, of three, play a uh, game seven Stanley Cup, and that neutral site concept brings in more scouts um, and uh, allows us to provide more of that exposure opportunity down the stretch when some colleges may be making their final decisions or they've had some roster changes and, and uh, you know, all of that type of stuff. So I think it's a win and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of hits on a lot of cylinders. Well, it's certainly unique, uh, that's for sure. Uh, and now how do you guys settle on uh, where the, the – neutral site games will be we uh we <laughs> we've had a lot of discussion on that and uh you know basically we've been in um we've been, been in minnesota 
for five years. We've um, found you know, geographically Minnesota works. We, we run a lot of other uh, events, so we have a lot of partners in Minnesota, and um, we have a lot of players from that area. And so uh, geographically centralized, kind of uh, easy, accessible, having the fact that there's a heck of a lot of folks in Minnesota that, that, that love the game and, yeah. and come out and watch the game, having a lot of players that are from there where there's some ease of access of some players. And also it's not a bad, you know, it's right in the crosshairs for the scouts. Not only do a lot of them, not only do we have a lot of division one programs in that neck of the woods, but there's a lot of NHL guys that, that live in Minnesota and it's not difficult to get to and not unfamiliar for the scouts that don't live to get there. So it's, it again is a, it again, is a, we're going to, we're going to a year uh, six on it. And it's been, it's been a, it's been a, you know, if you look at, if you look at our last six years, our numbers and college commitments have increased. I couldn't blame it completely on the neutral site, but it's certainly a part of our DNA that's helped that number increase for sure. Mark, how dependent is the league and the owners of the league uh, on at uh, on ticket sales uh, on on the gate? And I'm looking, you know, the couple of teams up in uh, Alaska. I assume they have uh, much higher expenses than the teams that are in the uh, the lower states and the mainland the mainland states. I guess that's not the right <laughs> word to use, but um, uh, the, I mean, for those teams to come down and play against their division rivals that are in the Dakotas in Minnesota, um, I, I'm, I'm assuming they're flying. I don't imagine they're bussing down. Yeah, uh, you know, look the um, the um, you know some of your major expenses, you know, when you're operating a team is your lease, is your travel, and is your staff, right? So you just identified, you know, the the uh, uh, an obstacle or a hurdle or a battle for someone that has a lot of travel or somebody especially that's in Alaska. Um but yeah, our our owners are basically creating a uh a product that is starts at dollar zero uh, and doesn't charge the players at any level and has to then come up with a way to manage um uh a, a six, seven, eight, nine, you know, one point one, you know, million dollar budget and they have to they have to recoup that through um, ticket sales. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to recoup that through, you know, corporate sales marketing. They have to do it through in-game promotions. They have to do it through um, all the different features that that you know a typical team that's providing this uh, type of opportunity at no cost. To, you know, basically a basically a mini type or a minor type of a of a pro team kind of model. Um, you know, where they're paying for equipment and travel and meals and, you know, everything under the sun for the players, um, they've got to find a way to recoup the cost. And that, that's why I call them, I call them philanthropic entrepreneurs because they're all business guys, they're gals, and they've made their money in other areas and they want to give back to uh, hockey, whether it be through their community or whether it be through the players or, or a combination of all those things. They take a very large risk and, um, you know, their reward could be in, in making money. It's not always the case at the end of the day. Um, but they, but it could be in providing the opportunity for these players to move on. And, uh, it's a pretty special group of folks. Um, you know, that model exists in the USHL and the North American Hockey League and those owners and, and both of those leagues, especially in the, in, in the U.S. Are, are very special folks to take that risk. But, but yeah, it's, it's completely about ticket sales, corporate sales, you know, in-game promotions, anything they can do, uh, just like you would see at an NHL game, but it's on a minor, it's on a much smaller scale, if you will. Now, do you have, uh, there's a lot of players who have come out of the NA and gone on to professional success. Do you see a lot of former players coming back as either owners or coaches? Is, do you see that uh, kind of a, that cyclical uh, nature uh, to uh, your league as well? 
you know, we, we've, we've had, we've had some of those. We haven't had, uh, you know, a ton of those. I would say, um, you know, a, a, a fairly well-known fellow that played junior hockey in the States that's involved in, and one of our teams at, at this time is Joe Pavelski and he's involved with the Janesville Jets being a Wisconsin guy just, and just Joe just recently being traded here to you know, where I live, where I'm standing in Dallas, Texas. But, um, you know, you, you get some of those folks, but, you know, um, but we don't have a ton of them. We don't have a ton of those guys um, that are coming to my head right now, but I, I don't think that's a negative thing. I just think in terms of, uh, you know, going through their careers and age and stuff, I think uh, they may not be at that point in their life yet when, when, you know, at some point to where we may see more of those guys. But um, we've had, um, you know, we've had a lot more NHL presence that really, you know, are from NAHL players that the NAHL made more of an impact in their life. So, you know, you could see more of that someday, but, um, but a lot of times you get, you know, you get that guy that's, uh, that loves hockey or is involved in hockey or um, is involved in the community and they connect all those pieces and they're the guys that, you know, made, made their money somewhere else and come back and, and want to get back. That That's kind of the more traditional uh, uh, owner that we've seen to this point. Mark Frankenfeld, the uh, commissioner and the president of the uh, NA is my guest here on the pipeline show. Um, you were mentioned earlier about uh, other showcase events during the course of the season. Uh, so you have the one, the first one in the Minnesota area that's early on in the season. Yeah, so we 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 run and we run a bit of a we, we run a, our, our our event structure is is kind of uh, you know we start off with uh we start off with what we call the Super Bowl showcases. We at least like to view it as that. It's uh, all twenty six teams where uh, they come together in Blaine, Minnesota. Then we run a uh, about a hundred team youth event underneath it uh, within uh, one of our leagues. So it's kind of a, what we call a vertical exposure model where you've got uh you know junior guys in there and then you've got the youth guys in there so um colleges and pro guys can come and watch you know players in our league they can go and watch you know the 18s the 16s the 14s and then you know the junior coaches in our league in the ushl can come and, and they can watch the younger guys too um and so that's our first event and the, and the goal of that is to get it started early it helps us kind of solidify, you know, our rosters uh, and 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 finalize a lot of that stuff. And the goal there is to get players on the map, whether it be with, you know, NHL Central Scouting, whether it be with the NCAA uh, program. And then, uh, then, then at that point, our teams basically scatter to a regular season, you know, divisional uh, type of a schedule. Right. And the scouts can, you know, identify who they need to go out and see and, and uh, you know, do their thing and and make their list, check it twice, and and, and what have you. We then come back uh, with our second event, um, which is called our Top Prospects Tournament. And our Top Prospect Tournament basically becomes an event um, in February, and we do it out in uh, Boston and in uh, Massachusetts. And what we do there is each division uh, gets to send a team of uncommitted players. And so if you're committed, uh, you don't get to go because you've already got the opportunity to uh, move on to college, right? And so we sent a team of uncommitted players, and then we have two teams that would be called the NHL Selects, which is guided um, guided by the NHL Central Scouting um, uh, um, concept to where 
players that are committed or not committed, it doesn't matter if they're somewhere in the wheelhouse with potential NHL opportunity, they, they get to go. Okay. And so we send six teams out to the top prospect event. And again, the goal there is, is, is to make sure that we're providing players in our league, um, every opportunity. We don't want to send committed guys out there from those divisional teams. And we want college guys to have a chance to see them play, um, give them another measuring stick to play against the best of the players that are, that are, that are still available in the other divisions, plus potentially some of the best players we have with the select teams. And so it gives it a pretty interesting measuring stick for them to look as they're checking their list, you know, down the stretch. Um, and we do that out in the middle of February. And then we have underneath us at that point, our, our North American three hockey league, which is our tier three level. They also do a similar top prospect tournament. Uh, same concept of a vertical kind of exposure model where you have multiple levels of hockey under the same roof. And that's our top prospect event. And then we conclude with the Robertson Cup, which we just talked about here recently. And um, the Robertson Cup, like I said, is a division champion, and they come into Blaine, Minnesota. We play at the Fogarty Arena, and we have what we call a 18U uh, top prospect event underneath that. So, again, it's another vertical exposure model to where, you know, you have junior and college scouts there, and they can also go and watch the youth and also participate in uh, scouting and recruiting at the uh, NAHL level. And so we feel that those three events have been a really big piece of our core fabric in terms of uh, development exposure and opportunity for players and, and, and for the scouts to have the opportunity to see it. And it starts, like I said, with that shotgun approach, that early identifier comes to the top prospect tournament where you can sharpen up your sights. And then the Robertson cup is, is, you know, kind of like finalizing your list. And the biggest challenge we really have here is, you know, one day and not so long ago, five years ago, our top prospect tournament, we had, um, we had a lot of players that, 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 that weren't committed at the time. And with the number of our commitments increasing, like they have, um, you know, the, 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 the pool at that event has kind of <laughs> decreased a little bit. And, and that's a good thing. That's yeah. a good thing. That, that just means we're, that's, you know, we're getting, you know, we're getting deeper because we've, you know, we went from having, you know, you know, 60, 70 players committed by the, the deadline to 150 to 60 players committed by the deadline for that team to be picked. And yeah. so, um, it's pretty cool to watch the turnout and the exposure and the way those players still are getting opportunity and, uh, you know, it's, it, you know, our pool's already been picked through pretty good. So it, it shows the depth of the league and, um, you know, that, that, that's, you know, that, that just makes it, that just makes me and proud of everything we're doing as we continue to turn those numbers. But, but that's our event structure. It's been in place for several years and we, you know, we, we test it, we challenge it, we execute it, we plan it, we review it, and then we try not to outsmart our common sense and change too many things because it's, it's working pretty good. Yeah, sounds like it's pretty successful. I got a couple more questions for you. I know I've kept you a long time Please. already, but, uh, the, uh, a couple of years ago, well, actually it's about seven years ago, the Canadian Hockey League, Major Junior up here, uh, on my side of the border, they, uh, did away with the, uh, goaltenders, uh, from Europe in the, in their annual import draft. And I, and I, I, was against the decision at the time. It seemed like two leagues that really benefited from that decision was the USHL and the NAHL. Uh, you uh, suddenly got a lot of European goaltenders, uh, some top quality uh, European goaltenders coming to your league. How important are the imports uh, to the NA? I think um, I think the imports and in, and and also you know what you're referring to there. I think it 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 did it did help and it does help. Um, 
you know, with with the North American Hockey League, it, it it would bring somebody else into the building to see us that may not have seen us before um, at that level or been paying attention. Um, you know, we've seen that before when we do stuff with the national program. We've seen that before. Um, you know, when when folks get a chance to see our product, they're like, man, this is pretty this is pretty daggone good, and then they come back. And so I think it's important. And as we, as we, you know, different than, different than Canada, you look at the total population and the number of junior teams and stuff like that. Um, you know, the U S isn't in that same model to where the, you know, these higher end junior leagues are going to expand to that level, but we have expanded. And as we do expand and as we do increase, we, we want to maintain the integrity of that level. And sometimes it takes a while to make sure you have, um, that number of of U.S. players to to bring it to that level. So I think I think we're in a good spot where we we have access to four imports. It's not it's not it's not huge, but it's enough. Not every one of our teams use the four imports, but they have the opportunity. I, I just think it's a really good mix. Where the formula that's in place right now is really working. And uh, but you know to your point, um, you know that that piece uh, where where we may have gotten a goalie. Um, or a player or two that we otherwise may not have gotten at one time or another in history, um, probably brought somebody else into our buildings and probably then recognized um, that this product was legit and it yeah. was on the rise and it's somewhere to come back to. And, uh, you know, there was a day probably one of these young guys out there that were pretty good in midget hockey or whatever would say, well, if I don't make, you know, the USHL or whatever, I'm just going to play in the NA. And, um, it's not that easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that easy, especially anymore. So you, you better, better reset your, you better reset your goals. But, but that's all been part of the evolution. And that's, that's one of the coolest things for me is the last 10 years. Uh, you know, I've been at this for 13 years. My history goes back uh, to 92 coaching in the league. And then back in 99 coaching in the league and then working as an, in operations in 03 in the league. Um, but I'll tell you, just watching the evolution and especially the 10 years of what's happened here and, and where we are today, it's been so exciting, so proud of and happy for owners of the recognition they're getting and the ability to put the players on uh, in the colleges they do. I, I just can't wait for the next 10 years. I mean, it, if we can repeat how exciting the last 10 has been, it's going to be a great ride. And it's going to be in the, the winners are the players and the communities and the fans and the sport. And that's that's what we're about. Last question or last uh, topic has to do with expansion. You mentioned uh, 24 teams was comfortable for you. You didn't really, you weren't looking to, to go bigger. You did. You're at 26. You have two uh, divisions that have seven teams, two that have six. I don't know if expansion is uh, something you would like to do in, in your future or, or not, uh, but we have had questions about, you know, uh, certain markets, and one of them is about uh, getting back to Canada. You had the Dawson Creek uh, team uh, up in northern BC yeah. at one point. Uh, would you like to get back to Canada, or do you want to stay at 26? Where are you at in in all of those uh, uh, thoughts about expansion? Well, uh, let, let me let me give you a little evolution in the in the piece here. So when we when we grew uh, in, in the first time, when we grew rapidly, I, you know, we we bumped up to 26 one year, and we did it from like uh, I don't have it right in front of me, but we did it from like 20 or 22. It was a real big increase. And we took some shrapnel for, you know, over expanding and, you know, even though it's it's providing, you know, 
free hockey and the level that we do, we still took some shrapnel. And the reality of it was, is it was about timing and market availability. And that's when, that's when, unfortunately, you know, uh, for, 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 for some of the pro leagues, they were, they were having trouble with that model and um, not saying anything negative about any of that. And, and it was just about the reality of a team existing or not. So we had to be agile and move quick and, you know, get into place in those markets and then settle in at 24 for a while. And 24 was a really good number. And um, we, 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 we looked at just long-term sustainability and, 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 and how that really works. And, you know, you get to different points in your evolution as a league, and we finally got to a point where we could take a breath and we have teams that are here for a longer period of time and owners that I, you know, now I'm starting to grow older with and, and such. And you go, what, what, what's important here? So we, you know, I, I moved down in 99 with the Texas tornado in the South and, and that team went 15, 16 years is no longer here, but that, that division was at one team one time. And now the South, you know, rose again and it's, and it's, and it's back up to seven teams in the division. And we're like, well, what's, what's the reality of this divisional concept? And we felt that eight was a really good number. So the players aren't playing the same teams too, too much. You're getting some, some variety. Um, Your travel's in a good spot to where it's, it's economical for the owners. Um, And if for some reason you had a problem that you had a team that, that struggled, which, which, you know, knock on wood, we've been fortunate. We haven't had a lot of those lately. Um, that you're down to seven instead of you're down to five because five goes to four, three, two, one really quick for a lot of different reasons. Um, and again, we haven't had any of these issues for a while, but, but, but we've had them in, in, in our, in our history and a lot, a lot of leagues through growing pains have them. Um, so we thought that it was best to, to look at how to get to eight. And we then did a lot of de- We did a lot of research on the player pool and where our players were coming from and our commitment numbers, and we did a lot of historical data, and we figured um, through that stuff, it demonstrated that, you know, our players uh, today, over half of them are moving on to the NCAA every year, and uh, over 70, 80% of those are D1. And so some you start to look at that, and you're like, man, we might have a – if we want to continue to increase our commitments, we might have a we might have a player pool problem, and so – with the data of the age brackets ticking up and with the data that we're getting more players from different geographic areas and the fact that we want to continue to increase our numbers and provide more players to college hockey, it it, it was a reasonable process to move forward with the 17. Now, when you do that, you got to do a couple things. You got to make sure it's the right market. You got to make sure it's the right owner and you got to make sure he's, you know, in in check with the core mission and DNA of the North American Hockey League. And by golly, we got some great new owners. So our, you know, our last our last four owners have just been fantastic. And 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 I say that our most recent four. I don't want to say the like the last fifth and sixth wasn't, but our most recent four were fantastic. In our in our two new ones uh, with the Albuquerque and the and the one up in in Lewiston Auburn up in Maine are are are, are awesome, and they've just they're passionate and they've been doing you know, the Lord's work of just bringing in a, a new era of North American hockey. So, so we got those divisions at seven and as anybody's involved in scheduling, and if you're trying to all play on Friday and Saturday nights, the reality is you probably got to ultimately get to eight so that you don't have any blackouts in your schedule and you can kind of continue on that mission. So we're probably on track to, to get to eight in the East 
and in the South. And, um, you know, does it happen next year? I don't know. Is it the goal to, you know, to get there as fast as we can? No. We want to make the right decisions and get there in the right time. So that kind of talks a little bit about the South and the East. In terms of our Mid-Central, we're pretty solid. We've got 10 teams on the ground and the Alaska guys flying in and out. And, uh, and so that's working right now, even though there's some incredible challenges and kudos to the folks in Alaska for all the efforts they make to make it work and uh, for their players and their communities and, and the other members of the team. They do a great job along those lines. And same with the players and the, or the owners on the ground that, that accommodate all that stuff. Um, but I would say that, you know, an, an evolution that we could be looking at beyond what I just explained could be some stuff in the Pacific Northwest and, 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 and out in that direction. There could be some reality of that on the horizon um, that, you know, there's, there's, there are players on the West Coast. There, are, there is a footprint to connect to potentially with Alaska. Now, we've done that before. We've had several teams out in that neck of the woods, and we're back to the Alaska team. So we're going to be really careful and really cautious. But, um, but, it, but it could be in, it could be in the – in the future, is that is that is that one year? Probably not. Is that three, five, seven, eight? Maybe. Who knows what the future could bring? But that that could be a reality. But then, you talk about Canadian teams, and, and I would tell you we're not opposed to Canadian teams, uh, Canadian markets. Um, there are a couple uh, markets up there that are you know just over the over the border that could connect. And um, it doesn't. It, it, it's nothing that we're opposed to. It's not anything that we're, you know, fueling up the jets and flying around and looking for somewhere to land. But we've had inquiries, and um, they do connect to some of our divisions, and they could be part of a master plan, and they could help, um, you know, create another, you know, piece of that DNA that helps us uh, with who we are. And that's that. Who we are is a. Like I said, the North American Hockey League, the NA, that it's a piece of DNA that isn't just one thing. It's a bunch of wonderful things, you know, brought together to create an opportunity for for everybody involved to to to, to be part of something great. And um, but, you know, in terms of Canadian expansion, we're not opposed to it. We're not we're not you know, like I said, fueling up the Jets looking for it, but um, it could be a part that's in the future. And and if it works out that way, it'll it'll be done in carefully, cautiously, and and with respect to to the hockey ecosystem all the way around. Outstanding. Mark, probably the uh, longest interview in the history of the Pipeline Show, (laughs) uh, but uh, it was great stuff and uh, education for me, uh, so that was terrific. I I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope we can do it again. Well, I love being part of history, and and I I, I appreciate you uh, reaching out to us, and I feel fortunate that we were able to be recognized and to be part of it, and I'll tell you, uh, the invitation's open. I'd love to talk to you again and and go in-depth on anything you want to. I appreciate it. That was Mark Frankenfeld, the uh, president and commissioner of the NAHL, the North American Hockey League, and uh, lots to digest in that interview, as I mentioned. uh, (laughs) That might be the longest single interview in the history of the Pipeline Show. I might have to go back and uh, check that. Uh, But, uh, boy, lots of information there, and really appreciate that Mark was uh, able to give us that much time. One segment to go in Season 14, and we're going to preview the Holinka Gretzky Cup with Ross McLean, independent scout and longtime friend of the Pipeline Show. He's up next. Now near side white, far side Krebs, wrist shot, scores! Peyton Krebs, a wrist shot from the far side, and gets by Bailey Birkin. Hey, Peyton Krebs from the Kootenai, and this is the Pipeline Show.